0: Welcome to episode 50 of the MMA Rundown Podcast. Of course, this week would have been the week that we had in Ghana versus Rosenstreich in UFC Columbus, but again, with the coronavirus, obviously UFC events have been held off for quite a while, so I'm going to talk about some more updates on the coronavirus, just some more general information, not as much so that pertains to MMA so much as it is just general information on the virus itself, because uh, it feels like a lot of what we have been hearing right now is just headlines, and a lot of these headlines tend to be the most reactionary, so I'm just going to read through some t- some statistics that are updated as of Friday. So, obviously, they've been probably like a day and a half since then, a- as of now when I'm recording it. So, they are going to be a little bit updated from then. But, for the most part, a lot of the information there is still going to be worthwhile and worth paying attention to. I'll talk about John Jones getting arrested. Uh, this is for a DWI. And he also had a gun that was likely fired off in his car. And they're also looking at some gun charges for him as well. Uh, so, talk about that situation. USC uh, 249 has not been canceled yet. They're, they're still pushing forward. There was a report early in the week where they said that it was like 99%, 99.9% sure they had a spot for it. Uh, sounds like they're now back to a, a position where they're looking at a few other spots as well. Um, but still, it seems as though the push is for them to have that event, so I'll talk about that. Uh, Dana White had a little interview with Son Sonnen. Chill has submission on the ground running today. Um, and he was able to pull off an event right now while a lot of other stuff's been canceled. And during the interview, uh, they talked about how they're able to do it and how being less transparent in a way is kind of beneficial because of the way the MMA media operates. I'll react to that. And then this is sort of a, some news that it it may not be that new to this week, but it was new to me this week. Uh, But with there being a lack of sports right now, a lot of the athletes who otherwise would be competing or practicing right now have a lot of free time to give interviews. And among them was Gordon Ryan. And he gave an interview on the who's number one podcast to full grappling and answered a question about his retirement that pretty much said that he never really did retire. It was more so just something to keep his name in the news uh, because he didn't have any competitions coming up in the near future. Uh, So I'll talk about the implications of that, and then also some of the other stuff that came up in that interview. And that'll be the last topic. So just five topics this week, but again, without there being any active fights, without anyone knowing when they can start scheduling again, it's going to be tough for new fight announcements to be made, or for any fight recaps or previews to be done. Uh, So starting off with just the coronavirus as as a whole, the rates I'm going to read right now are were last updated on March twenty fifth, uh, but these are just death rates per country. Uh, so Italy has the high had the highest at that point, at least at ten point one nine. Spain at seven point five eight. Iran at seven point three five. France at five point eight two. UK at five point two one. Then a big dip. Switzerland at one point six two percent. U.S. at one point five three percent. South Korea at one point four nine percent, and Germany at zero point six two percent. So we are seeing a pretty big variance in death rates. Um, As far as the U.S. uh, information goes, remember, again, this was declared a global pandemic back on the 11th of March. Um, That was when the NBA had to cancel the season because Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell tested positive. Now, both of them are now clear. Uh, Not that that's surprising. I think most people, they understand with the disease that, for the most part, it affects people who are older. At least it's more fatal to those who are older. So young athletes in their prime are going to be okay. Um, But since then, we've had 16 days from – the data that I'm about to read being updated, but 18 dates uh, from today. Um, but as of Friday, the US deaths were at 1,246. I think it's a little over 2,000 now. Uh, the US cases was at 85,356. Again, I'm pretty sure that's well over 100,000 now. Um, but it's worth noting that the cases, for, for them to have a positive test on a case, they actually have to have someone come in and test positive. And for the most part, the people who are being tested are the people who have the most obvious symptoms. Um, so there is definitely a selection bias in here. If you have someone who maybe has more minor sy- symptoms, they might not be getting it tested even if they have it. So that's not kind towards the case. And again, the death rate is deaths divided by cases. So if you're massively understating the cases, then the death rate is actually going to be overstated. So per the CDC, the U.S. death rate is 1.46. But again, if you're having these these selection biases in the test, in all likelihood, it's a lot lower than that. Um, so that, there's that thing. There, there's that to consider as well. Um, but also for the for the number of cases you're also looking at people who are asymptomatic um but have it they're not going to get tests so again they're not going to be included in that and people who did have it but were able to get over it they're not going to test positive either uh, they are talking about doing some antibody testing now to figure out how many people had COVID 19 and were able to get over it um, but the main idea there is that for as many cases as you see right now in all likelihood it's a significantly higher number the bad news about that is that that means a lot of people got it. The good news about that is means the death rate is a whole lot l- lower than people think it is. Um, from Dr. Burks on the Friday news conference, she said that the percentage of people who took tests and tested positive was only 14%. So that means 86% of the people who had these symptoms and that they felt were actually worthwhile testing. Most of them and a vast majority of them did not have the coronavirus, which is good. Uh, so I know every time you hear someone cough right now, the assumption is, oh, God, they probably have it. Um... But at least as far as the testing goes, there, there's still plenty of people who have flu or have seasonal allergies and don't have coronavirus as well. Um, as far as the effect on the economy, though, that's been pretty severe. The number of unemployment claims, um, not last week as in the last seven days, but last week as in the week before the week before that, was 3.28 million. That seems like that number is going to go up as well. Um, so for, for the U.S. right now, they I think right now the, no- the number of deaths is around 2,000. But we've had millions of people go unemployed, and the longer this goes, the more issues we're going to have with that. So it really does bring into account um, where do you really strike the balance between protecting the country from the coronavirus and from allowing things to go on and allowing people to work. Obviously, I would like to see things get back to normal. Um, If the coronavirus is very deadly, obviously you have to protect people. But it seems like right now with the numbers coming back, it's not as deadly as it was first made out to be. And that kind of factors into some of these articles I was reading throughout the week. So one of them was that this prominent British epidemiologist who had predicted 500,000 deaths in Britain, and I think around 2 million in the U.S., uh, revised his estimates down to 20,000 in Britain. Uh, and, and the big reason for the estimates coming down is because the death rate he realized was massively overstated. Uh, some of the ways that they try to figure out how high the death rate actually is, or at least how, I, I, I guess it's a couple of steps. So so first off, they'll take like a random sample of people and test them all. And then based on that, they'll get a rough idea of, okay, well, if this random sample has this infection rate based on our test, then we'll assume that that infection rate counts throughout the country. Uh, so then they'll they'll use that number in the domin- denominator rather than just the total cases that tested positive. And then when they do the death rate divide by that, the death rate's a whole lot lower. Um, so we, we saw, at least in Britain, that they made a massive a- adjustment on the estimate. They're also making those massive adjustments in the U.S. as well. Um, the highest I've heard since people have talked about um Readjusting those estimates was with uh, Dr. Fauci, um, who was on a Sunday show on CNN, I think, and he was saying that he was thinking like 100,000 to 200,000 would be the max that he'd be looking at for the U.S. But again, that's the that's the high end. That's not necessarily the middle, which is where it tends to be. Um, so uh, again, that's positive. Uh, there was an article from a couple of Stanford medical professor, professors in the Wall Street Journal where they're pretty much talking about the same thing, where they're saying that the death rate is massively over- overstated right now. But if you consider the the fact that the death rate is accounting for positive cases, not for everyone who possibly could be tested that in, in reality, it should be a whole lot lower. So I think just as a whole, a lot of news that we've been getting lately, though, anytime you see a headline where it's like, well, this specific person, this jazz singer died, or this specific athlete's parent died. Anytime you hear a story like that, or there's a story that recently came out where there's like a baby who had coronavirus, but likely had some other issues as well. Uh, When they make it a case-by-case thing, it's like, oh, my God, look at all these different people who are dying. But when you look at it from just a pure statistical number, I I mean, I'm not saying 2,000 people isn't a lot of people, especially over the course of a few weeks. Um, But for something that we're talking about, potentially killing 500,000, a million, 2 million people within a year, if it's that bad, then you probably do have to shut the country down and really get things slowed down so we can prevent that. But if we're looking at something that kills a couple thousand people uh, over the course of, like, a few weeks, it's obviously not good, but is it worth the drawback of shutting down the economy and spiking unemployment claims massively and putting a lot of people in some really tough positions, I I mean, that's where it gets a little bit trickier. Obviously, like I've said before and like what's fairly obvious, the more freedom you take away from people, the more you can reduce outside causes of death, like I mentioned before. If you don't let anyone drive faster than five miles an hour, you're going to significantly decrease that number of 37,000 traffic deaths a year. Uh, but at some point, you kind of have to make some trade-offs and say, okay, we're going to give the people the freedom to to drive a little bit faster and to be a little um, more reckless, so to speak. Um, but the trade-offs there are, end up being worth it in the end. So th- I, I don't necessarily have like a, a case that, oh, the US, the U.S. should reopen right now or the U.S. should reopen immediately. But I, I think a lot of the signs that we're seeing right now tend to show that this is not going to be as bad as early projections were, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, so moving on, uh, I guess talking about traffic... <laughs> Um, we, ha- we have John Jones who uh, just got a DWI, got arrested for DWI, um, and also likely is going to be facing a gun charge. So effectively the story was is that a-, a gunshot had been heard. He was in his car outside of a strip club, and when he was pulled aside, uh, they had him do some sobriety tests. He failed the sobriety tests, and as a result, he was booked. Um, he had an open bottle of Hori Masvidal's brand of tequila in the back, too. or Recuerdo, I think it's tequila, whatever it is, Ori Masudal's um his alcohol product. We'll, we'll just call it that. I think mezcal is actually what it is, whatever. That, I don't know that's all that important. But regardless of the case, he was saying that yeah, he's getting a little bit stir crazy, and he's just kind of got a little bit ahead of himself, and and again messed up again. Now, as far as what this means for him, for him from a legal standpoint, it could. It's tough because I don't know what his defense is going to be. Uh, I think he did admit initially that he had been driving. I think when he was pulled over, it was in a parked car. So if it was just a parked car and he never admitted to driving, it's like he just kind of sat in his car um, and just took a drink from there. Though that would still be bad. It wouldn't be as bad as driving while under the influence, but I think he did make an admission to doing that, which is going to make things a whole lot tougher for his lawyers. Um, But with him having past issues with with DUI, you would think that he's going to get hit a little bit harder this time. Obviously, he's got a lot of money. Obviously, he's going to be able to get a really good legal defense team, and they've done pretty well for him in the past. Um, but does it mean he's going to face jail time this time around? Uh, it's possible. Is he going to face years in jail, or is it going to be months? I'm not a legal expert. That's kind of outside my expertise. So for me to really figure out where, where he's going to end up on that, it's, it's tough to say as far as whether or not the UFC should strip him. I mean, if he's facing an extended period of time in jail, yes. If he can get back to fighting pretty quickly, is it worth stripping him? I mean, at that point, it just becomes a question for the UFC whether or not they they feel like having a champion uh, who just got arrested for DWI, something that they want to have for their brand. Uh, they've definitely stripped him in the past, and like, it would be unprecedented for them to strip him again. But I feel like for the UFC, a lot of what their decision is going to be based on is going to be based on how the legal system handles that, how quickly it gets moved along, um, if he's able to fight in the meantime. Um, so for me, I, I don't feel like I have enough information right now to know whether or not he should be stripped. As far as personal opinion goes, do I think he should be stripped? <sighs> I mean, it's not as though it like, has any effect on competition. I th- for, for as much as the punishment affects competition, I think that's really where we'd come in. So I, I kind of, my assumption for what the UFC is going to do is kind of where I feel about it too, where it's like, if he can still compete, uh, relatively soon, or at least on a similar timeline to that he otherwise would be able to, I don't see the need to strip him. Um, if we're talking about a branding thing, it, it doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of damage to to the UFC's brand or to Jon Jones's brand. I mean, people kind of already figured that was Jon Jones. It's just like, oh, there's Jon being Jon. It really didn't hurt him all that much. Uh, so for the UFC, I think your decision to strip is probably more based around just his availability than it is going to be around just the idea of having a champion who just got arrested for DWI and was shooting a gun off in his car. Uh, now, as far as him... It, it seems like every time this happens, he talks about how he's going to grow from, he's going to continue to mature. And then something else happens again. And then you're like, Oh, I guess not. Do I think that John Jones is ever going to mature? I, I mean, I don't know. Like the, the, stir crazy thing, like to an extent, I kind of get it where it's like, I also really want to get out of my house. I, I think if you're the type of person who's oftentimes out of the house, um, moving out and about, um, being stuck inside is definitely going to be a lot more difficult for you than someone who's used to, just being at work and going home, and then while they're home, just playing video games all night, um, or just watching TV all night. So for John Jones, I can definitely understand that there are people who would get stir crazy. Now, some people take their stir crazy out different ways. Some people might go go to a mountain and just kind of like run around the mountain, or do some hiking. Some people go to a strip club, drink some alcohol in their car, and shoot off a gun. I think there's a pretty big difference between the two of them, and obviously John Jones uh, making the choice he did was not very smart. As far as whether or not he should have a driver, I mean. Who's he going to hire as a driver, and what exactly are they going to do? Like, is the driver going to say, "Hey John, don't shoot that gun." Hey John, close that bottle we're in a car. Like, you're you're talking about more than just a driver with him. Sometimes I think sometimes you're also looking at a babysitter. I don't know that a UFC champion like him is going to be so willing to take on a babysitter. Um, so for him, it, it feels like the driving though driving is part of the issue with it. I, I think the the judgment as well as probably a bigger part is part there so just hiring someone for 50 grand a year to, to drive him around and be his personal chauffeur well it sounds like a kind of cute idea that you can fit into a 140 characters or 280 characters i, I really don't see that as being something that's going to solve all of john's problems i think he's got a, a, a lot more at hand that he has to deal with um and for him maybe he has to get to a point in his life where he's just done um with alcohol maybe he just has to go stone sober and he has to realize hey maybe maybe this is an alcohol thing and maybe even if alcohol isn't to blame there, just the pursuit of alcohol kind of puts him in positions where he, he's doing things that aren't necessarily best for him. Maybe that's the solution for him, but I don't know that I see him doing that anytime soon. Maybe that's something he's going to have to put as a chip on the table when he ends up going to court where he's like, okay, well, if we get, or, or if it's lawyers, like, Hey, if we can get our clients sober, we're confident that this is going to stop a lot of these issues from ever happening again. And then if they can show some signs that he's actually like making progress towards sobriety, maybe that's going to be meaningful to them. So maybe that's a story that we hear sometime soon. Is that something that they're doing just to get a lighter sentence, or is that something that they do to to have a big lifestyle change for him? I think that'll be interesting. Uh, it'd be also interesting to see if he does go sober, how that affects his um, fighting career. I, I know he has, uh, I, I mean, really anyone who fights, but he's been among them. He's got his own inner demons that he deals with and his own concerns that he has. I know there was that story about him where he had partied all week leading up to the Gus fight, and he felt like that sort of took some pressure off of him. Uh, So maybe for him, just being sober and having more time to to think about um, every single fight that he has, whether it's a rematch with Reyes or whether whether it's a fight with Jan Blahovic, just having to have that time to think to yourself, like, oh my goodness, uh, if I lose this fight, what does this do for my legacy? Uh, If I win, does it really do that much for me? This guy's dangerous and really just get all up in his head about that. I don't know if that's really going to be something that happens, but maybe it is. Um, But for me, it's tough. I'm more interested in just kind of figuring out what the consequences are going to be here in terms of what changes he's going to have to make in his life and if he's going to be put in jail or not, and if he is put in jail, what kind of effect that's going to have on his career. Uh, As far as, like, judging him on a personal level, I mean, obviously it's not a good— obviously what he's doing is not good. Obviously this pattern of behavior is not good. Don't know enough about him personally. Um, Seems like this is something that he's done for a while, but, again, he's still in his early 30s right now. Sometimes people take a long time before they can change for the better and really kind of straighten out their lives. Uh, You would hope that he's able to straighten his out. Um, I don't know what the gunshot was all about. I don't know if he was aiming at someone, if he was just shooting up in the sky. Um, But you you figure at some point, as long as he can stay out of major trouble and avoid doing something that's going to put him away for 15, 20, even more, um, that he'll eventually get get it right. But, man, it seems like he's still struggling with it, and it's kind of frustrating to watch uh, from the outside next topic to talk about is ufc 249 uh so a- as i mentioned dana white had mentioned briefly that they were 99.9 percent sure that they had a spot for it uh, and it looks like they're now looking out again i don't know if the initial spot he had just got closed down or what specifically is happening but he's still looking at a few a do- few different options he also talked about the possibility of moving the main event that was supposed to be yesterday in Ghana versus rosenstrike onto the ufc 249 card so it looks like he's planning to do a full card there not just a a single fight between Khabib and Tony. Uh, so at least all signs seem to, be, seem to show that he's really looking forward to doing it uh, because they're going to have minimal people there. It seems as though it's going to be possible for them uh, to be able to run the show without having to give too much information out to the public. Although I'm sure if you have to inform all 24 fighters, if you're going to have 12 fights on the card, where the, where it's going to be that eventually it's going to come out where they're where they're going. But as of now, no one really knows where the event's going to be, but hopefully they do get the event going and hopefully it actually is somewhere. Uh, there's some talk about being in the Middle East. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if some of the updates and projections, like the ones I'd mentioned early on, where this appears to be nowhere near as dangerous as it initially was thought to be in terms of number of casualties, and in terms of death rate, if that's going to potentially help out, uh, given, like I said, this everything started shutting down on March 11th. This fight is supposed to be on April 18th, so that's going to be over a month later. Uh, so does that have a positive effect for them, where things start to open up in time for them to be able to run this event in the U.S.? I'm not sure they haven't announced where it's going to be, but it does seem like the plan still is for them to do it Um, with the numbers on the virus seeming to be a lot better than projected. I mean, maybe we're still shut down regardless because it's still a a really dangerous disease, but it seems like some of the people who are projecting that this thing was going to lock us in our homes up until the summer, that might not be the case anymore. Um, But when, when we actually are open for business again, it'll be interesting to see. And obviously it'll be nice if they're able to get this event going, but, if they have to do it overseas that's that's fine too whether it's dubai or somewhere else um this is just something that want a lot of people want to see if everyone's still locked in their homes and there still aren't a lot of major sporting events by then that's even better for the ufc it means more eyes that are gonna be on it i know there's some talk about the ufc brazilian card not getting great numbers on espn i think it was 672,000 on espn this was also simulcast on espn plus though it was initially an espn plus card espn plus has millions of, subscri- of subscribers and many of them are ufc fans uh, so I'm not sure how many UFC ESPN Plus subscribers just watched on ESPN Plus rather than watching it on ESPN, uh, and the number that we had publicly was just the ESPN number. So if most of the people watched it on ESPN Plus, then that explains why the numbers seem so low. But you'd have to figure that this this fight's going to draw a lot of numbers and if is able to put it together where he has two main events on it, where he has that Ngannou versus Rosenstrike fight on it, which I'm, I'd assume would be moved down to three rounds, which I think is perfectly fine for them. I don't think... If, if that fight goes in the fourth, fifth round, it'd be a terrible fight, or it'd be a terrible fourth and fifth round to watch. So I think for, for everyone watching, it's actually going to be better if that fight goes to... Or if that fight's just a three-round fight. Um, but for the Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson fight, as long as we're still able to get that and able to get it on April 18th, I think a lot of people are going to be really happy about that. Next topic to talk about, sort of is along the same lines here. So there was a little Instagram live session between Chael Sonnen and Dana White. Both of them are currently promoting martial arts events that are scheduled to go on during a time when most of their sports are not trying to schedule events. So Chael Sonnen has Mission Underground that's going on right now. I'm not sure exactly where the location is, but again, that's his um, it's his submission series, uh, mostly with black Belter guys who are pro MMA fighters who fight for Bellator or UFC tend to be the guys who are on that show as yeah, the main event with kevin casey and craig jones i'm sure craig jones should get the should get the win there but at this point just new new competitive stuff to watch is, is always fun i don't have fight pass so i'm not gonna be able to watch it but that's one of the things that they're working on right now but Chill was able to get into this event without telling the media where it was going to be at because again since he's not gonna be giving out media credentials and because there's isn't gonna be a live audience he doesn't need to That was an interesting way for him to handle it. Obviously, Dana White is also trying to do the same thing, where he's trying to set up an event without really telling the media what's going on. And Dana White gave Chael a tip on there, pretty expressively saying, look, don't tell these media scumbags what's going on. Don't tell them where it's going to be. They're just going to try to ruin it for you. Uh, A lot of the people who cover the sport are some of the weakest people. Um, Now, Grant and I talked about that specific topic last week. I'm not really going to dig too much into it, but that was one of the things that he sort of brought up again was – that a lot of these MMA media guys who cover a really hard sport tend to be really soft. Like, like I said last week, I, for the most part, I tend to agree as, as a whole with the idea. Obviously, there's a lot of people in MMA media, including some guys who are former fighters. I mean, hell, Chael Sonnen's a guy who's technically part of MMA media. Now, granted, Chael is not the kind of guy where if he sees an event's been put up, that he's going to try to put a bunch of outward pressure and put a make a PR nightmare for the promoter to try to get him to cancel it, uh, like some other guys, like a Trent Ryan Smith or a Luke Thomas would do. But when Dana White says something like the mma media is a particularly soft group of people he's not talking about every single one of them and make sure they all pass that test before he says it. he's just talking in general and i think in general for the most part he's right but as far as the idea of not telling the media i, I think it's kind of sad but i'm glad that dana white at least understands that because it is sad that we are at a point right now where there are some members in the MMA media who really do make it their mission anytime that they hear an event's been scheduled right now to try to shut it down and make it sound like what's being done is so irresponsible and they're like doing so much damage a lot of these fighters want to fight um, they they want to have the chance to compete. I know with a lot of these new lockdowns, it's been a little bit more difficult to, for these guys to train. I know for myself specifically, I did not get to train at all this week. Uh, every workout I did was just at home uh, do, doing different bodyweight exercises, but I wasn't able to train like I had last week a couple times. And s- some of the new stay-at-home orders were, were definitely a, a big part of that. Now, there are some fighters who have mats in their homes or were able to get some training partners coming over. I, I know Al Jameen Sterling started in the week saying that he wasn't able to train much, and then at the end of the week he was posting videos of him and Marab training in a garage. So it is kind of unfortunate for some of these fighters who don't have the necessary means to train, but I'd imagine if you have a UFC fight coming up, especially if your coaches are getting a good amount of money, uh, at least 10%, uh, that they're going to find ways to make things work and find ways to work around and still work with you. It, it isn't the ideal training situation, but I don't think anyone's really in the ideal training situation right now either. But for the most part, these guys want to fight. They want to be able to continue to compete. They want to be able to continue to earn money. So for them, if they don't want to be on the card, they can obviously take themselves off the card. Uh, it's not that hard to be like, uh, I've been coughing. I've been feeling like it. I kind of feel like I have something. You could just say that. And I think for the most part, the UFC would be like, okay, cool. Never mind. Get off the card. Uh, but for the guys who do want to compete, for Dana White or even for Chael Sonnen to try to offer them opportunities, I think is a good thing. And for some of these MMA media members to try to like shut it down and stop these young 30-something healthy guys who – are really at very minimal risk to, to having any serious injuries or seri- serious issues from the coronavirus. I, I just agree with it, and especially now where we're at, where there's a lot of self quarantines in place. I mean, if you have these guys who are pretty much staying at home for the most part on their own, uh, they take a fight. And let's just for, assume for whatever reason they catch the coronavirus while they're fighting. Uh, maybe it's like maybe one of the 24 fighters has it who fights early on in the cage. And for whatever reason, it's still on that surface and the people are getting it throughout the night. If these guys are going back home and still staying at home and self-quarantining, which they probably be legally required to do anyway, but they could do that on their own as well if that's what it took for them to fight, if it's just them that has and they're staying at home and they're not giving it to anyone else and they're just home alone for 14 days, really, what, what's the damage there? Like, yes, it's going to be really annoying two weeks for them, but for most fighters, two, if two weeks is all you have to worry about uh, for stuff that comes from your previous fight, uh, you're pretty lucky because for the most part, people are taking injuries in fights that take a lot longer than two weeks to heal. Last thing to talk about is going to be Gordon Ryan. So, like I mentioned early on and in, in the preview, in terms of talking, in terms of what I'm going to talk about, Gordon Ryan did do an interview on Flow Grappling on the Who's Number One show, and he was asked about his retirement. And in that, in that interview, he said, "Look, I really wasn't retiring. I just didn't have any fights coming up, uh, so it was a way to keep my name in, name in the news until I got some more matches to come up." So, based off of that, it, it seems like a pr- fairly safe assumption that he's going to keep competing uh, as long as opportunities come up for him. Now, obviously, with coronavirus, there aren't as many opportunities. Uh, but he is going to be taking some new opportunities, and it, it seems as though he'll still be active in there. Uh, so that's the good news. I, I, I've ha- I have had some questions on some, some of my past videos about Gordon Ryan, where people even still to the day are like, is Gordon Ryan retired, or is he not coming back? Or they're, they're still asking about it. So I guess the update on that is that, no, he actually is not retired. He is still going to be actively competing in jiu-jitsu. He is still going to be teaching. He is still going to be doing the instructions that he talked about doing and making a good amount of money off of that. But competition will also be part of it for him as well. One of the other interesting things that I thought stood out in the interview though is that they were asking him about the tony versus khabib fight and he was saying that he really doesn't like watching mma that much he's really not that interested in it. he watches a lot of jiu-jitsu matches uh, but mma really doesn't interest him a whole ton in terms of as a fan what i found interesting about that is that one of the big stories from him i think it was a year or two ago was that he was planning to come over to mma that he had hopes of being a a champion in in mma and for him a big assumption when he said he retired and if we were taking him out of his word, was that he wasn't going to ever make that transition to MMA or really ever make it with um, with, with a full effort. And the thought being is that if his explanation for retiring, that he was like, you know what, I, I've just put in too much time, I, I need to take some time away. If that was an issue for him in jiu-jitsu, he wasn't ever be able to put in the time and put in the effort to, to mastering all the different arts of MMA and being at a level where he can be a, a UFC champion. Now, at least the retirement part is debunked. Um, but with him saying that he really didn't have a whole lot of interest in like watching MMA tape, I thought that was pretty interesting because if MMA is something that he wants to do and if it's something that he wants to master and get to the top of, you would figure a guy like him who's actually a pretty analytical guy and a pretty uh, observant guy, if you listen to him talk, you'd figure that he'd be studying a lot of high-level high level MMA and trying to learn from it and sort of apply some of that stuff to his game. So for him to say that he really was, wasn't all that inter- interested in watching MMA, it does make me think that even though he is still going to be actively training, though he will actively be competing in jiu-jitsu, I don't know that I believe that his heart's quite there, as far as transitioning to MMA, at least not quite yet. So I guess that would be the bad news of it. The good news is that he'll still be actively competing. Um, He has a lot more that he can can accomplish in Jiu Jitsu. I know he's already accomplished world championships, um, but for him, maybe if he wants to start working on setting some records for the number of championships he has, that's something that he can do, especially at at his size, um, where it's pretty easy to stack up both weight class and absolute medals in, in a given year. It's a lot easier to be a multiple-time world champion when you've can when you always got a good shot at the absolute than it is when you're a much smaller guy, and your weight class is your best bet. Uh, so he does have that going for him. Maybe that's what he wants to do now, is he just wants to make as much money as he can and win some world titles as as those opportunities present themselves. But I guess good news, he's still going to be competing. Bad news, if he is going to MMA, it seems as though he's lacking a little bit of... A little bit of passion there, which is kind of concerning, because there there was some hope that you could see him come to MMA, and with a guy of his skill level on the ground, would have really been been interesting to see him against some of the top guys. Um, would be really interesting to see. It. I know Gary Tonin's going to be a guy who's going to be working on this as well. Uh, but for a long time in MMA, there's been this idea that leg locks are not a good technique to go for in MMA because you're going to get yourself punched in the face. You're committing both hands to a foot uh, while you're leaving your your face open. But with a lot of techniques in jujitsu, oftentimes you are committing both hands to a limb or committing both hands uh, to something other than protecting your face. But if you're able to offset someone's someone's balance or stretch them out in a position where they can't reach your head, uh, you're okay there. And one of those concerns with leg locks is that leg locks are a position where you're going to get punched a lot, but if you can properly position yourself there, you're going to be safe from most punches. And with a guy like Gordon Ryan and a guy like Gary Tonin, who's very good technically uh, from leg locks, where he can really reap your knee and kind of like t- take your... I'm trying to think of how to describe it, but if you're kind of squared up with someone, it's a lot easier to punch them, especially if you're within reach. Um, but if you're kind of extended out at an angle, you might not be able to reach them, and you're also not going to be squared up with them either. He can definitely get people, um, keep people from squaring up with them, and then as a result, they're not really able to reach him. And if they do reach him, they really can't generate a lot of power. And obviously from there, he's able to finish uh, his leg lock. So to see whether it's Gary Tonin doing it, or whether it's Gary R- Gordon Ryan or anyone else. Uh, Finding ways to adjust leg locks in MMA where they're able to be very effective and not have to worry about getting punched in the face while they're doing it. That's definitely something that I want to see. And I think once we do see it from guys like Gordon Ryan and guys from Gary Tonin, uh, I think there is going to be a revolution in MMA where leg locks become a lot more prevalent. And people realize that these actually are a lot more effective than we thought. We just weren't very good about locking up the the best positions for MMA when attacking them. Um, it, It seems like one of these things that happens a lot. And it's sort of this debate. Uh, between if you're training MMA, do you want to just train MMA and only take the stuff that you know works from each art, or do you want to just get really deep in the art and then kind of learn some stuff and find ways to make it work? And I know for for a while there's this talk about karate where like all these karate kicks don't work, when in reality a lot of the guys who were good at karate kicks just weren't able to avoid getting taken down. Uh, but then when you have guys like Wonderboy Thompson who could really fight off takedowns well and get back up, uh, we saw a lot of those kicks that we thought wouldn't work before were working very well for him, even against wrestlers like Jake Ellenberger. Uh, so... so To me, I feel like leg locks are one of those techniques where once you get the right people doing them and they're doing them uh, the proper way and really securing position the proper way, uh, we're going to see a lot more leg locks in in MMA than we currently have. And I think once we really start seeing an example set of how to properly attack leg locks in MMA where you're not really risking getting punched too much, I think we are going to see an explosion in leg lock attacks and leg lock finishes in MMA as well. And I figure that Gordon Ryan might be a guy on the leading edge of that. But if, if he's not looking to get an MMA right now, uh, maybe that slows it down maybe Gary Tonin really sets that example in one uh, we'll have to see but it, it does feel like to me especially training leg locks and being in that jiu world that there were a lot of leg attacks where being able to punch someone isn't going to be able to get you out of there and I would like to get see MMA get to the point where we start seeing guys properly performing leg locks where, where that's a thing but we haven't gotten there quite yet Gordon Ryan is more than capable of doing it but he might not be the guy to, to actually show it. It might have to be someone else, which that's okay. There's, there's plenty of other guys who are good at leg locks who also do MMA, and hopefully that it, that eventual leg lock boom comes sometime soon. But it seems like that might be a little bit delayed now. Uh, so that covers it for this week. Uh, as I mentioned in the past couple weeks, and I guess not to get too redundant, but I'll say fairly briefly now again. It seems like there's a lot of uncertainty right now. I know that some of these stay-at-home orders uh, were going up until next weekend. Uh, but then the Monday after that is when things are supposed to go back to normal, assuming that they don't make any extensions on it. Hopefully that is the case. If that is the case, then at least for the most part, people are going to be able to get back to their, their normal lives, uh, depending on what state they live in, uh, which would definitely be a good thing. And then hopefully that means gyms start opening again. People are able to start training more more often again. Uh, Competition starts sprouting up again, or at least they start getting rescheduled again. And martial arts can kind of get back on a normal schedule. But until then, we'll have to see. I know for the Olympics, the Olympics got pushed back, so that's going to push back the process of everyone qualifying. I'm not sure if they're going to have to redo all their qualifications again to qualify for 2021 or if all the countries that are in spots in 2020 are going to be good for that. Um, it also be interesting to see for the people who qualify for the trials for the U.S. if they're going to have to re-qualify for 2021 or if they're still in as well, and they just have a really a really packed trials. So that will remain to be seen. I'm sure as news comes out, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to report on that as well. I don't know that any news is going to come out on that within the next week but if it does i'll I'll make sure to mention it so that covers it for this week and uh hope you guys enjoyed and hopefully there's some more interesting stuff to talk about next week hopefully ufc 249 is finalized or at least it's still not canceled because at this point not being not uh, an event not canceled is almost as good as it being confirmed